Hey, 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 drama listeners. It is another week and another brand new episode featuring your favorite twins, of course. And it's Connor again, surprise, <laughs> to um, tell you a little bit about something you should check out, which is our Patreon, patreon.com backslash the drama podcast, where multiple times a month we bring you bonus episodes where we deep dive into more topics on pop culture, theater, love, life, everything you could ever imagine. You also get access to our close friends on instagram which i feel like is worth the price come on so today we have the unbelievable iconic and dare i say sexy prince charles of broadway's diana on the pod can you believe the people asked and we are delivering and boy does he bring it to the pod uh we also talked to gina dewall if you're a big diana fan and that's how you found us today if you just scroll down our feed you can see our conversation with her we also one of our first episodes was with zach adkins before diana fame and you're gonna love this chat and if you love us after hearing it I think you're also going to love our Patreon. So head on over to patreon.com backslash the drama podcast, subscribe, support the pod because we do need it and tell your friends about us because we love, love, love some word of mouth. You know, like Diana, the people's musical and people's princess, we're the people's podcast. So I really think you're going to love this episode. I think you're going to love the Patreon and I know you love us. So it's time for the show that I think and know you're gonna love. Press play. Curtain of an hour in. It's time to take spin. The shade and tea to spill. Ooh, Ooh, drama. Oh, that's a tweet. Did they book? Who got nom? They option no. Oh, I'm not well. What What star will we talk to today? Oh, that's a gag, honey. Say no more. Drama. Drama. Welcome to Drama, a podcast that covers theater, pop culture, love, and life. I'm Connor McDowell. And I am Dylan McDowell. Connor, how are you? I'm great. You know, I had a wild-ass weekend, and I've decided I think I need to start pumping the brakes a little bit. Oh, yeah? Well, it's just been nonstop the last six months, and... Well, you've been of the mindset of, like, work hard, play harder. Yeah, it's literally the concept of Summer House on Bravo. It's like, we work, we bust our asses in New York City on the week, during the week so that we can live it up in the Hamptons on the weekends. But instead of going to the Hamptons, I'm just in like gay bars or seeing shows or going to Empanada Mama repeatedly. Re- well, repeatedly. Yeah. I'm sick of it. It's over. I'm, no, I just that's feel... impossible. Meanwhile, I crave it weekly. I miss it. It's one of the things I miss most about New York. Real? Oh, wow. I just feel as if I'm burning the candle at both ends and um, living while I'm young to steal a phrase from One Direction's hit song, Live While We're Young. So, oh, I saw Casey Musgraves this weekend yes. at MSG. Yeah. And what did you think? I mean, she's such a great singer. Yeah. The, the vocals are immaculate. Immaculate. I mean, I was saying to somebody, I was like, she didn't, she didn't do anything. And they were like, well, no. what did you expect her to do? She's not a dancer. Well, I saw, I saw her in Kansas City, famously. Right. From January and... 21st to the 23rd. That's right. And I called it a Park and Bark concert. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was good. But it was very fun. It was very fun. Yeah, why not? She she did some of her classics and she was fun. She didn't yell at the audience like she did the time I saw her in Cleveland opening for Katy Perry when she accidentally called the Cleveland audience Columbus. And then she told everyone to shut the hell up when they booed her. This was before she... That was insane. This was before she crossed over, I would say. Before she was more of like a mainstream She was like so delightful to our crowd. And like, last thing I'll say is that Dumois piece, I famously unfollow and refollow Dumois every week. But a Dumois piece came out about her saying that she's pregnant. And I was like paying attention during the show. She never took her guitar away. 
is what I'll say. At your show, did she did she take the guitar away when you were when you saw her th- I, two weeks I ago? Was, I was inebriated. I I really don't remember, but I will say that's some Shondaland um, trickery. Like when Carrie Washington was pregnant on Scandal, they had her behind every large lamp and couch and site. Incredible. So. Or when Ellen Pompeo on Grey's and she would just like hold open her lab coat. And they would do like a shot mm-hmm. where you saw her from the side, but she'd have her hands in her pockets. It was crazy, but it worked. Or was me in a high school choir holding my binder <laughs> in strategic places where I, with my ill-fitting outfit. Anyways, <laughs> let's get into it because we have someone who is definitely the people's prince. He's like a Twitter icon. He's Razzie nominated. Can we, can we break this news today? He's Razzie nominated. Oh my God. We're, we're getting the exclusive. The doors Halle Berry opened when she accepted her Razzie in person. With, with all her Oscar. Say. Okay, we'll, well, in hand? In hand. We'll talk about it. Okay. So, Dylan, I'm actually excited because they throw around the word icon and we're in the presence of one. He's the moment. All right. So, we are joined by royalty with our guest today as he most recently completed his smash Broadway debut engagement as Prince Charles in Diana, the musical, which you can also see on Netflix for the rest of your life. This dashing star previously shared his talents off-Broadway in Second Stage's production of The Bad Guys and Nobody Loves You opposite Rory O'Malley and Leslie Kritzer. His other theater credits include Classic Stage Company's Unnatural Acts, Golden Age at the Kennedy Center and at the PA Theater, American Daughter, and more at the Williamstown Theater Festival. On TV, you'll know him as Doug on Emily in Paris, Trevor Kingston on Madam Secretary, as well as Red Oak's Boardwalk Empire, Netflix's The Get Down, Deadbeat, Blue Bloods, and Power. He appeared opposite Anna Gunn in the Sony feature film Equity, as well as in the Netflix comedy Game Over Man, and in Stephen King's A Good Marriage. He's a bona fide Twitter star, which we already said... And if you're hearing this, it means you already follow him. But please, welcome to drama, Ro Hartramp. Wow, I'm I'm applauding. I hope my mic is picking it up because I that's a lot of stuff that I forgot that I did. That's uh, really in depth. It's almost as in depth as you guys went on Casey Musgraves. <laughs> too much? <laughs> Never too lot. much. No, I'm I'm flattered. It's a great it's great to uh, to hear it all back because I'm like, oh wow, yeah, I, I have been sitting on my couch for the last month, but there was a time where I did a lot of acting. That's uh, it's great. Yeah, you deserve a break. You were carrying a lot on your shoulders over the last couple. <laughs> you, the whole entire company of Diana was honestly. It was a roller coaster to say the least. Is this the exclusive exit interview from your time as Prince Charles? I think it is. Okay. I think you guys have got the exclusive. And speaking of exclusives, we didn't plan this out, but. Today happens to be the day that I found out that I am nominated for Worst Actor of the Year at the Razzie Awards for Diana the Musical on Netflix, and I couldn't be more proud. You've reached cult status. I think it can only be a good thing, right? Like, Mm -hmm. the list of people who have won both Oscars and Razzies is pretty long. And I'm not saying I'm winning an Oscar, but the nominations for the Oscars have yet to come out. So we still don't know That's where right. Diana stands. <laughs> I'm obsessed. Diana will surely be nominated or could be nominated for Emmys, right? It could be. I think surely might be a strong word, but it absolutely is eligible. This this definitely has been the year of movie musicals. Yeah. And in a wonderful way. I love that it's that it's back. But yeah, in terms of eligibility, I think we're eligible, but I don't know where we'll fall in the mix. It's an honor just to be considered, I well, suppose. I, ha- I have to congratulate you. This is amazing. Thank you. It's uh, We are the most nominated film of the year. I think we've finished up with nine. Nine. So there's even, there's a nominee for like best on-screen couple. I think that they listed it as any ensemble member and any musical number from Diana the Musical is nominated. 
nominated for <laughs> worst on-screen duo of the year. And honestly, I think this is only a good thing. Like, I, I think it's all done in good taste. Like, I've been a fan of the Razzies, honestly, for many years. And I think it's amazing when people mm-hmm. like Halle Berry or Sandra Bullock go on the on the award show and accept their award in good taste and good humor. And I think that there's, you know, there's a line between like good-natured razzing and and then sort of like mean natured like negativity and i think that the razzie stays on the positive side of that definitely i think it is really exciting i think you're our first razzie nominated actor who who who's your competition wow it's steep so it's sean eastwood who's clint eastwood's son for a movie nba champion lebron james in space jam oh i missed that one wow wow we are clevelanders so we hold lebron close to our hearts i love lebron i'm a huge fan and I think he's a good actor. Trainwreck was great. Trainwreck was great. I didn't see, I haven't seen Space Jam, but. And then our good friend Ben Platt oh, yes. is nominated for his performance in Dear Evan Hansen. And then there's a fourth one that I'm not thinking of right now. Bruce Willis this year gets his own category. There were so many films that he was in. There were like, truly <laughs> <laughs> there's four different films listed for like worst Bruce Willis performance in a movie in 2021. Wow. So they really went deep. And honestly, like what's so funny to me about the whole thing is like, these are major big budget motion pictures that were released <laughs> in theaters for multiple weeks and you guys want to nominate a netflix like live capture of a broadway musical during the pandemic <laughs> as your most nominated feature so i'm like honestly we'll take it like yeah. no press is bad press as far as I oh know, as a absolutely i mean that is camp that they really sought you out do you think that diana has an, another life in some way somewhere I think that it will. I don't think I can speak to what the plans are because I've never, I haven't heard officially, but we know what was happening in the building as we were uh, headed out. I think what's cool is I think that this establishes that Diana's not going anywhere. Yeah. It's on Netflix, like you said, for the rest of our lives. <laughs> right. As long as Netflix exists, it's probably beamed into space by now. Yeah. <laughs> in a lot of ways, I'd, I'd rather be in a show that is going to be remembered as like the most nominated Razzie film of the year 2021 as opposed to something that just like came and went and disappeared. Yeah. I do think it's going to have a life, even if it's just at like Marie's crisis. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. people are going to be like loving this score for years to come. Well, I know it's already much beloved. It's, it's had such an interesting journey. You know, there was so much buzz around it. And then the Netflix thing happened and then it was almost like the Netflix thing didn't happen. Like it was just, I must say, I am sorry that it didn't continue because thank you. I absolutely, it was the most fun I have had in the theater. I can even look back to pre-pandemic. I, it was just so much joy. And your performance was terrific. I was actually shocked when you opened your mouth on this call and you were not British, which is not to say I didn't know that you were from Atlanta, but I just was, you know, it's, I associate you with this incredible That's very Queen's kind. English. Yeah. Yeah, this is, this is what my voice sounds like, guys. Sorry to disappoint everybody. That's okay. I mean, you have the trickiest character to play bar none. Yeah, it, it was tricky. And and what's what, what was amazing was, it's the kind of challenge that I love. It's the kind of role that I've always wanted to play. And I think I was able to access or seek out the humanity in this character that we think we know from pop culture coverage. It was a really amazing challenge to work on for three years. And what was wonderful about the process is that the creative team really was inclusive. And we all would sit and talk about changes. And we'd talk about new script pages and new lyrics and how it and each of us would advocate for our character and our track and i think that what we worked really hard on for a long time was how do we 
maintain that there are no villains in our version of this story. Mm-hmm. Folks will walk in with preconceived notions, but we want to show them a story that is without villains and m- might surprise them. But I do think the toughest hill to climb was how do you establish that Prince Charles is a human being who you know, makes mistakes and, and falls in love and falls out of love with people. But that also like to make the point that in the 70s, he was considered to be a very handsome, eligible bachelor who like meant well and was seeking out love and happiness and trying to do the right thing. And that was the biggest challenge, uh, especially as we got into like the once the Diphanis had like had, like taken hold of our show and embraced it the way that they did, which was such an incredible and essential part of our story as a show. Sure. The the almost like audience interaction level, the back and forth between us on the stage and, and the people in the house was a very tough thing to navigate at times. Mm. I remember you had a tweet about about the the yeah. rage. Yeah, and it was it, I guess I, I wanted to like let people in a little bit uh, to the, the experience because that number was something I haven't talked about this uh, anywhere else but like that number was something that really scared me. I was it was in the audition packet. I've been singing that song since 2018. But it was always really scary to me because I would talk with Chris about how we really wanted it to be on the edge of almost like unsafe. We wanted it to be uncomfortable. And Chris left in and was really excited about this moment of silence after I sing my last notes, which is a very aggressive moment where I'm in Diana's face. And he was really excited about the idea of four full counts of complete silence, where it's just like Charles breathing very heavily and trying to regain his composure before Gina, as Diana starts to sing her next song, But what happened in those four beats was that it left time for the audience to go through a whole journey of, wow, I'm uncomfortable. Oh, I don't like the way that he just spoke to her. And they then had enough time to either applaud or boo, as they sometimes did, or shout curse words, as they sometimes did. And I was ready for all of it. I was happy to handle or like see what an audience, how an audience would respond. But on the the final week of the show, after we knew that we were closing, the audiences like really got aggressive on the Wednesday of that week for whatever reason. Mm. And so Wednesday afternoon, someone called me or called Charles an asshole in that silent moment. And several people in the audience applauded that. Uh. And then in the afternoon, not to disparage our wonderful Diana presence on Twitter, our official Diana account liked and promoted a few tweets that were like sort of positive about the fact that someone had yelled a curse word from the Uh. audience. It was sort of like, yes, love to see it. And then in the evening show, it's people sort of doubled down and it was a lot of booze and it was a very, like a wave of negative energy from the audience. And it was just harder to handle that moment because we knew we were closing and I only had a few more shots with this show. And so it was a lot of emotions swirling. And so I asked the Twitter team to like refocus their like public opinion about the interaction in the audience and keep it, try and keep it as positive as possible. And then I wanted to let the audience know through Twitter, like, I love the engagement, but I'm also a human being and I'm bummed that my show is closing. So can we try and keep it positive for the last like five shows so that we can leave on a high note? So it was a, it was a a weird crux of uh, different emotions. I I appreciate you being so open about that because I mean, I'm sure you also kind of wonder in that moment, like, oh, they probably like they're booing me too. You know, it's like one of those things, like, how can you not? Yeah, it was, it's tough because I think that what the way that I wanted to do that number and the way that I wanted to play Charles was very much blurring the lines of, 
is this me? Is this Charles? I wanted mm-hmm. to be very vulnerable and use personal experience to approach this role. And I think that was the best way to humanize Charles. And so in that number, you know, I, I don't, I was raised in Atlanta in a very polite, you know, mannered family. And I don't like to lose my temper. It's, it's very mm-hmm. uncomfortable for me. And so actually I would have, I would feel a lot of shame after finishing that number because I don't like to yell like that. I don't, I don't, and it is, he is behaving inappropriately and being very cruel to Diana at that moment. I think it's essential for the show, but me as Roe, it's not a comfortable thing for me to do. And I hope that audiences understand that. And I also understand that their response is not like, Roe, you've done a bad thing, Mm -hmm. but just the sort of raw emotional state that I'm in as a Roe at the end of that number is it's hard to jump back into like, okay, cool. I'm a performer on stage playing a character. The lines are very blurry. And, you know, as uh, Lady Gaga did, I studied the Stanislavski method of acting <laughs> right, right, at NYU. Right. And it's a lot of sense memory and a lot of like blurring the lines of whether it's you or it's the character. Wow. You, Lady Gaga, and Marilyn Monroe, no? Yeah. Or yeah, she- yeah. Yeah. I studied the, the I studied the Stella Adler Institute, so not quite where Gaga went at the Lee Strasberg Institute, <laughs> which I don't know. I, I don't know whether that's apocryphal or not, but that is that is I, what Gaga wants us to know. So that's what we're going with. <laughs> so we did a very similar a similar method to to the Lee Strasberg Stanislavski method. Well, I have to say your portrayal was incredible. Connor and I love Josh O'Connor. We're we're Crown fans, as you know from our yeah, chat. As with you Gina. know. I'm remembering that I think in the Gina episode, I was like, stop casting hot men as Charles, (laughs) but I'm glad they cast you. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. She she collected me though. She was like, no, he like was hot. And I do think that one thing we talked about a lot in the process of preparing the show was so much of this show is from Diana's perspective. This show is, is all, is almost the fantasy version of events where Mm -hmm. Charles is the most dashing prince in the world. Barbara Cartland is the fairy godmother. So there is a very heightened energy through the piece. And so we felt that, luckily for me, casting someone who, as other folks would say, I'm very chuffed as British would say about it, like more attractive (laughs) than Charles. So like, it was a way to communicate that like, this is who Charles was in the 70s, that he was desirable and he was... Uh, this ideal like bachelor. Mm-hmm. It's, it's such a cool process in general to probably to play a real person. Connor, were you going to say something? I was going to say, are, is there a dog running around on the there floor? There is. Yes. My, my dog is very excited in this moment. She's like, I can tell the dad is doing something important. So he's got to play with the, my fish right now. Uh, we love, we, we love what dogs. Her, on drama. What's her name? My dog is named Pippa. She's a very sweet oh. gold, mini golden doodle. Oh, kind of like she's, that's very British. Kind of like Zach's moose. Zach has a golden doodle. Exactly, and she is she is actually named after uh, Pippa Middleton, Kate's sister. I want a so. Pippa Middleton musical. Now that is something that could be interesting. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm a veil. I'm a veil. Yeah, so yeah. You want me to step in? <laughs> Wait, I'm thinking about how cool it is that we talked to Gina like a month before we'd even seen Diana, or the world had seen it on Netflix. Now we're talking to you a month after it prematurely ended its Broadway run. And I absolutely loved it. You know, we've been talking about it a lot, obviously, but what does the experience mean to you as a whole? It's something that I've been reflecting on a lot because having the show shut down right before the holidays and then not being able to travel because of COVID for the holidays was actually in a lot of ways, a nice way to release the whole process. So I had a lot of time to reflect and that show and that process gave me so much 
like I first auditioned for Diana the Musical in like the summer of 2018 and started working on my first rehearsal in December of 2018. So not only the, did the world change so much in that time, but I changed so much as a person. My life changed like three or four times over during that span, as did I'm sure everybody else's. So once we got to the remount on Broadway, it was very much like just a, a victory lap almost of like, we made it, we did it. And I felt very much like if we got a long run out of the show, I would be so pleased. But looking back, the show had already given me so much that to ask the universe or, or the theater gods for you know a year in that show maybe was too much. I don't know whether that was what was meant to happen, but I'm so thankful for my time in Diana and like got to make my Broadway debut. You know, that's like a childhood dream come true. So it's, I really can't be mad about the whole process. Yeah. Oh, love it. You were amazing. And I wish, I wish it was still running, but I guess we can watch yeah. it on Netflix. You can watch it on Netflix. There were some changes for Broadway, which I was very pleased about. And also the thing about Netflix is there's no audience. So you don't have the energy. That was the missing scene partner that we needed mm -hmm. to, to communicate when you could laugh, like what you were allowed to laugh at, what was an applause break. So it's a, it's a different hybrid piece of theater. It's, it's, it's a lot different. Wow. Well, one yeah. day it'll be revived and it'll be appreciated for all that, all that maybe it didn't, but I do think it was, it was, it was loved by the end and you never know yeah. what'll happen with the awards this you never year, know. you know? You it's know? very true. No, it's very, the very theater, true. The theater community has not been so united on anything in, in probably since Smash was on TV. So I'm just going to leave very that true. there. You uh, know? Very true. That's a great point. And, and we're so grateful for the, for the support that we got. Yeah. And I really do believe that in a normal theater season, we would have found an audience. I totally believe that. But trying to remount a show after a Netflix premiere going first, tr trying to climb that uphill battle of like the sort of mixed reception to the film and then getting into live and the sort of mixed reception to the live show. And then as we got into the performances, theater Twitter and, and folks who are in the know were like, wait, this show is good. It's a lot of fun. And then all of a sudden we were closing. So yeah. on, on top of that, Omicron came around. So I think that what I appreciate now is that Diana is mentioned in all of the articles about shows that closed due to Omicron. Mm -hmm. And even though we did not announce that like we can no longer continue performances because of Omicron, our sales were, were wobbling and, and going negative in such a way that the producers couldn't explain it. And looking back, it's like, oh yeah, obviously no one was coming to New York and no one wanted to be in a theater because this you know, triple contagious version of what we've been dealing with for the last two years is back. Mm -hmm. So I do think that if there had been a chance to get more butts in seats and, and widen the audience and there was more tourism to New York, I do think we would have found some sort of audience to have a longer run. But it'll live in history books in a special and way. Netflix. So that's, yeah, and Netflix. That's right. That's right. And Netflix. Wait, Ro, you mentioned that making your Broadway debut was like a childhood dream come true, which is an amazing segue into a question we ask all of our guests. We love wondering about that moment when you first found an interest in the arts, whether it meant consuming it or participating in it. Yeah. And we call it a ring of keys moment. Do you feel like you can pinpoint that that moment in your life? I, I think I can. And it's funny, as I was listening to, to Gina's episode, you guys mentioned that one of your guests had had a second ring of keys moment when they saw Cynthia Revo in Color Purple. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I think there's actually two moments where yes, when I, when I was a little kid, I was really rambunctious 
And, you know, sometimes I would get like punished for being outspoken or, or like acting up in class or whatever. And so my parents were kind enough to put, instead of like punishing me further, put me in our church choir. For some reason, that was their idea. Like, well, let's see, let's put him in the choir. Let's see what he does. And my choir teacher, Cack Whitaker, was like, do you want to come and do our church musical? And it was a musical called It's Cool in the Furnace. I'm not really religious and we weren't really religious at the time, but we were going to church and this was a church musical. <laughs> Bible story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get thrown in the furnace and they don't burn up because Jesus is there with them. Sorry to those who don't practice. So I was in the ensemble just singing on stage and dancing. And when I would do something that wasn't choreographed or wasn't allowed, quote unquote, I would get a laugh and the audience would point at me and enjoy my performance. And I felt like I was getting rewarded for this energy that was natural to me instead of being punished in a way. Mm. And so that was the first moment, first click of like, oh my gosh, like this is fun. Like this is a place that I can be myself and, and maybe this is a good thing that I'm, I have this energy. So I think that was the first time the bug bit and then my parents luckily were supportive and I started doing Christmas Carol at the Alliance Theater in Atlanta. Yes. Um, Directed by Kenny Leon, strangely enough, he was the artistic director at the time of uh, the Alliance Theater. And then oh, I came to, wow. and then the second moment I came to New York, and I had, you know, sort of climbed that hill of committing to this all the way through junior high and high school, and you know, being made fun of and having to navigate the social weirdness of like quitting football to do a musical, and made it to NYU and had, you know, gone through the audition process and felt like I had achieved a, a goal. And then our freshman year. In the dorm, everyone was talking about this new play that was on Broadway called The Pillow Man. Mm. And I don't know if you guys have ever read The Pillow Man, but it's by mm -hmm. Martin McDonough. It's super dark, very like bizarre sort of like- I think it's like a future. horror play. It's like a horror play. It's exactly right. It's like a ghost play. It's, it's mm -hmm. really, really intense. And everyone was talking about how wonderful it was. And so I woke up at like four in the morning and got to Times Square by myself at 5.30 to stand in the line for the closing performance of Pillow Man. And I got the very last standing room tickets to see this show. And it was Billy Crudup, Jeff Goldblum, Jelko Ivanek, and uh, Michael Stuhlbarg. And th those performances in that show wow. shook me to my core, shook me so deeply that I was like, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. I'm here in New York for a reason. I saw this show for a reason. And that is the kind of work that I want to do. And so it was just a, a reaffirming moment that like I had made the right choice. And even though it's scary to be here, look at where I am that I can go by myself on a train at 5.30 in the morning to see an incredible piece of theater. Double ring of keys moments, I think, in, in upon reflection. I appreciate the second one like doubling down on it. I think that is so cool. I have many questions, honestly, in general, but I am so jealous that you saw the Pillow Man on Broadway. Was it at the Booth Theater? Yes, it was at the Booth. Okay. Oh, being like so spooky. Oh my gosh, tiny little theater. And like all four of those guys in the ensemble are like truly masters. To see Jeff Goldblum live, like yeah. what? And like also the, the sort of like iconic moment of like lying down, catching a nap in Schubert Alley. <laughs> waiting for the box office to open and like running to Starbucks across the street while someone held your space. It was just so, it felt the like Marriott. at the Marriott, yeah, yeah, right there in the lobby. And I was like, I, I'm here, you know? And it was sort of that first I've made it that I think a lot of us feel not that I've made it on the stage yet, but I'm, I'm here. I'm in the community. I'm a part of this, which I think is such a huge 
foothold, right? Like in the journey of, of getting to where I just got yeah. years and ten, like 10 years later, you know, really more like 15 years later, just around the corner at the Long Acre. Yeah. I love that story. You know, people don't really talk, we don't talk about like those, the excitement of like lining up early to rush to see a show anymore. I feel like things are switching to more virtual lotteries and, you know, those type of experiences, but wow, what a rush. And it's literally called rushing. rushing. And I I do think that that is sometimes um, like a a barrier almost. Like it's hard to know what that system is and it's Mm -hmm. different for each show and not every show announces what the system is. So again, you've got to kind of be in the know. You've got to kind of be in the community to know how to get an affordable ticket to theater, mm-hmm. which is maybe a whole other conversation or a whole other definitely, podcast. But definitely. it was a very special moment for me. And I hope that everybody gets to have that experience. Yeah. Wait, so, okay. So you mentioned that you in high school, we're going to go back to your other Ring of Keys moment. So in high school, you were a football player. So you were a jock. You were like a, a Troy Bolton. I know that's like the overused example. <laughs> But- yeah, the only the only fight that my dad and I got into about me wanting to be an actor was freshman year of high school, because all through junior high, the musical was in the spring. And so in the fall, I played football and I wasn't really that good. My dad likes to look back and say that I was really good, but I don't think I was really that good. <laughs> we'll let him have and that. Then, we'll let him have that. And then in the once I got to freshman year in the fall, they switched the order of the shows. So this musical was now in the fall. And they were going to do Shakespeare in the spring. That drama. was official from now on. Drama. Drama. Title of the podcast. Great segue. <laughs> so my dad was like, cool, you're going to go to football practice. And I was like, actually, and actually, I think what had happened was that I had, I had auditioned in eighth grade. Like in the spring of eighth grade, you auditioned for this fall musical of the following year. So I had auditioned as an eighth grader to get into the ninth grade musical. I had a call back. It was, I was in the room with all the big kids. Like it was a very dramatic moment. The kids who you'd been seeing in those shows, you'd looked up to them. Like exactly. Were in middle school. Okay. And what show was it? It was the secret garden. Oh, cool. But I was cast as one of the, um, the ghost quartets and it sort of opens the show. And it's like people who are haunting the mansion and they sort of walk through the house. And I still remember some of the, some of that stuff, but <laughs> it was a featured role as an, as a ninth grader, I was getting a featured role. And I was like, I want to do this. And my dad maintained and He never said that I couldn't do the musical, but my dad maintained that I could do both. And so he not only told me I could do both, but he went and sat down with me in private meetings with both the music director and the football coach about the logistics of having me maintain both activities and do football and do the musical. And both teachers were graciously like, you know, yes, it's not impossible for Roe to do both, but he would miss so much rehearsal and and so much practice in each place that he would be on like the third string backup on the football team. And he would be way in the back of the, you know, chorus uh, for the musical. And I was like, I don't want to do that, dad. Like, I think I, I think I'm good. I think I'm better at singing than I am at football, which is true. (laughs) <laughs> my friends will tell you. So I, I committed to the musical and my dad was fine with that. He understood and was so encouraging of me throughout that. But then the night before my audition for NYU and my dad's probably listening to this and I, I love you, dad. And I don't hold this against you, but he still, he brought that up. We were having like dinner before my audition for NYU. I was so nervous. And he was like, you know, Ro, like, I'm just so proud of all the work you've done. And I really think it's going to go up for you tomorrow. Well, you know, you really were a good football player. And I really do think you could have done both. And I was like, you know, teenage angst. I was like, dad, uh-huh. God, like I'm, I got to focus. 
let me eat my pasta. <laughs> but he, you know, my dad is endlessly, endlessly supportive. And, and that was the only disagreement we had. And it wasn't even that bad. It wasn't like the, the Troy Bolton moment of like, mm-hmm. if you go to the theater, you're out of my house. My dad was like, no, no, you're uh-huh. really good. I just want you to try and do football too. I love that you mentioned that he'll probably listen to this, which only furthers that he's so supportive. Absolutely. Yeah. He's the best. Ro, what was the first gig you booked on TV? Cause you, I listed like a, a million credits. Yeah. The very first gig I got on TV was a show called Pan Am. Yeah, short lived. Yeah, had a single season in like 2011, 2010. Yeah. Chris, Christina Ricci, one. or was that? Yep. Yeah. Christina Ricci. It was Margot Robbie's very first job in America. Oh. So it was a scene where me and an actor named Aaron Darkey were newlyweds on the plane flying Pan Am to, you know, Hawaii or something like that. And Margot Robbie was our flight attendant. <laughs> and I asked her to like take a selfie of me and my wife on our honeymoon. And we had this back and forth about photos or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so I got to work with Margot Robbie before anybody else. You were wow. on the ground floor. And I, I sincerely doubt she remembers any of that, but uh, I was there. Yeah, I think I watched a few episodes because I was, Catch Me If You Can was like, is my favorite musical. And I remember being like, yeah. ooh, like this is the same era. Ooh, you'd be good at yep. it's Frank. I would, you'd be good. It's a dream role. I would love that. But they, it was sort of the season of TV after Mad Men had been such a smash. It was like maybe Mad Men season three or four, and it was becoming such a phenomenon that every network was yeah. like, okay, we have to do a show about the 60s. Yeah. I think the Playboy Club was out. Absolutely that right. Around that time. The, too. Those were the pilots yeah. that year was like, it was Mad Men in the Sky, or it was Mad Men in the Playboy Mansion, or Mad Men somewhere else. <laughs> And they were like trying to figure out who's going to get the audience from Mad Men on network television. And actually a a guest star, a recurring guest star on that show was David Harbour, who is now, you know, we all know him from Stranger Things. And I remember going to the table read, we're getting deep into shop talk here, but we did the table read for Pan Am and they hadn't cast the lead guy yet. The guy who was literally the pilot of the plane in the pilot of Pan Am. They hadn't found the guy yet. And so they said, Hey, David, you're playing sort of this British spy role, spoiler alert, would you please read as the lead for just for today? And he was so fantastic at the table, like, you know, in a room, like the Hyatt Regency, like, you know, ballroom or whatever. And I was like, who is this guy? And then now we all know who did Harvard. And he's done Broadway. I think he did some Shakespeare on Broadway. He definitely was, he has definitely done theater because he was a regular at the restaurant where I worked for a while in the West Village while he was doing a show at like the Cherry Lane or so, maybe uh, at the Barrow uh, Streets. Oh, cool. And he would come in after shows. You've done the uh, the restaurant. You can't see me, but I'm smoking a fake cigarette right, right now and just like sort of tapping out the ash. Just like, if you only knew the things I've seen. Uh-huh. It's like, I'm a, I'm a jaded old. That is very Mad Men yeah, era. Yeah. <laughs> I've, been, I've been around. What restaurant were you working at? I was working at this really, really fun place in the West Village called Jeffrey's Grocery. It's That's a, cool. yeah, it's just down the street from Stonewall and Duplex, like on that block on the corner. And I bartended there off and on for almost 10 years, like eight years. And they were oh, wow. really incredible about letting me come and go. So I would book a gig, go do Williamstown for the summer. And then when that ended, come back and be like, hey, can I jump on some shifts? And even when there, I had an erstwhile year in Los Angeles, which was not a great idea. <laughs> when I would come back to town for like trips, just to visit friends, like I was like in town for a week, they would let me pick up shifts because the menu hadn't changed. They're oh, like, cool. yeah, if you're in town and somebody doesn't want to work and you want to jump on. So I would like pay for my, my bi-coastal life, my flights by working at 
this restaurant in New York while I lived in Los Angeles. It was great. You're literally Carla Stickler, who was in and out of Wicked and came in and saved Broadway over the holidays, and they put her in as Alphaba. That, that's right. That's you to Jeffrey I will be, <laughs> I'll be shaking martinis the next time Diana's on Broadway. They'll call me up and be like, we know, <laughs> we know you haven't sung The Rage in 30 years, but can you jump in? <laughs> Um, well, speaking of TV, you're also part of another cultural phenomenon, Emily in Paris, which we oui, we oui. obsessed. <laughs> it's funny because I watched it, you know, when it came out during the pandemic, yep. and then I had it on because I was getting ready for season two, and it was like the week after I saw Diana, and I had totally forgotten that you play the pivotal role of Emily's American boyfriend for the first two or three episodes. It absolutely is pivotal, and I feel lucky that Peyton Manning remembered it recently on SNL, but oh, it's, yes. it's not well remembered by everybody else who's a, who's a fan of, of Emily. Because that was really the jumping off point for Emily's real journey, which is get to Paris. And mm-hmm. it was so much fun. And it's sort of a wild story because that show was supposed to be on Paramount Network, not even Paramount Plus, but the cable channel Paramount Network. Okay. That's what we all okay. auditioned for. That's the job we booked. And we went and filmed it. And I got really lucky because my scenes are set in Chicago, but it was cheaper for them to fly me to, to Paris, keep me in Paris, find corners in Paris that look like Chicago, than to move <laughs> the whole set to the whole team to Chicago. We eventually did go to Chicago after they wrapped everything in Paris, but I was able to so this is 2019 before the world ended. Ironically, on my birthday, I got flown first class to Paris to shoot a TV show. And like, it was like the best day of my life to that point. And so we, we were, you know, in Paris shooting the show, really amazing team there. Like Lily Collins is a gem. She's, she's so kind. She's such a pro. Made me feel so welcome. Ashley Park is a very good friend. We had a blast in Paris. Other friends of mine came through and we got to hang out, but we all thought that this show was going to be on Paramount Network. And I was like, I hope people are able to find this show, like no shade to Paramount Network, but it was like, what channel do I flip to to find that? So it wasn't until after we wrapped and then like even late into that summer, I think the next year into the summer, we were sort of like, when is this going to come out? Like, where's it going to go? And then Netflix stepped in and bought it from Viacom, which is the parent company of Paramount Network. And it went on Netflix and just became the ultimate pandemic like travel you know eye candy Mm -hmm. so i think it was a really really lucky convergence of things at the right place right time for that show to take off and uh you know darren star is known for bringing back (laughs) ex-boyfriends on his other smash hit show sex in the city so i wouldn't count out doug to to make a resurgence at some point they just got season three and four so it's lots of uh love stories that have got to be you know written on that show so Fingers crossed, knock on wood for a reappearance from Doug. We, we'll yeah, see. we need Doug I back. I feel like he was probably mentioned a couple of times too. Like even when you weren't present on the show, like he would be yeah. mentioned. There was one that I saw where like she finally gets a care package from home. Oh yes. And she's with Luca and she's opening her box and like the peanut butter spilled all over everything. Right, right, right. And she's like, oh no. And she holds up the frame photo of me and her covered in peanut butter. And Luca's like, oh, you miss him, huh? She goes, no, him I can forget, but the peanut butter I can't live without. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love that snappy dialogue. Well, you guys, the writers on that show are fantastic. And and of course, yeah, it's, it's it came so out during great. the pandemic, but you guys were like hooking up via FaceTime before everyone had to during quarantine. So it was really revolutionary in so many ways, bro. It really very was. Very forward thinking, very forward thinking, cutting edge. My mom was very proud. 
I'm sure. I actually watched that scene with my mom, and I remember thinking, this is so awkward. <laughs> but obsessed with the yep. show. A lot of people it doesn't were like, matter how old you get, you know, scenes like that will always be a little uncomfortable. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Every time mm-hmm. I'm working on something, I'm like, just a warning, mom and dad, this is going to be X, Y, and Z. So turn off at this point, or let's just not talk about, you know, episode two. Yes. Let's just skip that. <laughs> We've got to ask because tomorrow, just this is top of mind, but tomorrow we obviously are getting Oscar nominations. Did you, have you seen any of the movies this year? Or like, what's your favorite things you've seen? Yeah, I mean, I haven't been to a ton of movies just because of like, I was trying to stay, stay so healthy during the show. I was like, I don't want to be right. the one to get sick and mess this up for the rest of us. But I, I did go see Power of the Dog in mm-hmm. theaters, which I thought was fantastic. So beautifully shot. Yeah. And have I seen anything else? I, I really want to see Worst Person in the World. Um, I'm itching to see that too. But the one that I'm bummed isn't in the mix is um, In the Heights. What happened in the Heights? I really can't. I think it's just that type of thing where it came out in the summer. And so by the time Oscar buzz is happening, people have already even forgotten about Kristen Stewart and Spencer. You know what I mean? Which seemed like such a lock in October, November. And now it's like, where is she in all of this? Let alone like, can we please go back and watch In the Heights and get that on the best picture list? (laughs) Seriously. Ugh. It's one of those points. I freaking loved In the Heights. But I thought that I thought In the Heights was a masterpiece. I I loved that movie. Oh yeah. That was so cool. And it came when we needed it. You know, like we were all starting to get vaccinated and summer and yeah, it was good times. Well, Ro, I don't want to take up too much more of your time because you're a busy man. So we'll have to invite you back for another dose of drama at chat all day. But before we (laughs) I know. I know, seriously. We do like to end on what we call a dose of drama. It's the titular segment where we, you know, drop a recommendation or we share something that's on our our hearts or minds. I will let Connor go first because I don't have one today, but I'll come up with one. Great. Dylan, that's okay. We celebrate spur of the moment doses of drama, but okay. So mine is, this is hard for me to say because it's drama. I, I'm talking about the, the new HBO max or HBO series, the Gilded Age, which is filled with our Broadway favorites. Absolutely loving it. It is so good. It looks amazing. Beautifully cast. A lot of the storylines are a little bit repeat from Downton Abbey, but I'm willing to move past it because the aesthetic is fantastic. But a lot of these things have sort of already happened on on that masterpiece of a series. But like I said, I'll, I'll move past it. I'm feeling a little bit dramatic that Christine Baranski's not going to get the material she needs. I don't want her just sitting at home, you know, kind of being snippy. I want I want a storyline. I want her to be a little bit more central than Meryl's daughter, who I'm not, I'm not really convinced by. So, you know, I know that it's not Christine's story. Drama. That is drama. That is drama. Drama. I, but, you know, I was wondering <laughs> who else could play that role. The um, I, I, Mar- is there any Mary Marianne? I mean, I might have made that up, but I think Marion. I think Marion. Marion. Um, who else would be a good Marion? I don't know, but yeah, I mean, I just I want more for Christine than her kind of just being like stodgy and you know hanging out at, at home. But otherwise, it's great. But the line, the line deliveries are so acid perfect, yeah. like so oh, yeah. cutting. She like all she needs is a couch and a letter, <laughs> and she just like looks up over the piece of paper and delivers a line that just destroys the room. I'm so I think we got to give her a couple more episodes. Okay. Probably on episode two. You're right. You're right. I think we just need to let it breathe. Trust in Julian Fellows. Maybe we'll get what we're craving. And then there's all, there's definitely going to be a season two. So maybe oh, yeah, she'll get, the, get off the couch. Season three. I think I'm just a little, I was, tr- I was tricked by the marketing because the poster 
is Christine and Carrie Coon. Yes. So I was like, oh, okay, this is like a Christine Bransky vehicle. I, I have faith. I have faith in I have faith in Julian Fellows. I mean, I don't think it's not a Christine Baranski vehicle. I'm, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I do think that we're saving the juiciest moments for Donna. Like, it seems like Donna Murphy, maybe maybe what you're craving for Christine, Donna is snatching. And, like, she's killing it. Like, she is eating it up, which oh, I'm amazing. excited about. But I don't. I wouldn't put it past. I think Chris, because they're neighbors, right? Carrie Coon and Baranski mm-hmm. are across the street. I think they're going to come to a head. I think they're going to cross paths sooner than we think i'm excited about it. i like the way it's you gonna, think yeah god donna murphy is everything get i feel so privileged to have seen her in hello dolly that was the oh, that was who we yeah. saw first in that and that was just amazing unreal okay connor i i love that you brought some actual drama to your dose of drama today yeah we were we were divided yeah come on <laughs> fight me fight me julian fellows Pedro, i have a question for you yeah I, and i've been asking our guests this a lot lately is your first name a nickname Yes. So my first name is short for my middle name. And the full title is Carl Rorig Hartramp the Fourth. Wow. I'm sorry. That's that is the best name. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a I've very good name. It's a very strong name. And it's shared by my dad and my grandfather and my great grandfather. It's a lot of consonants. The last name yeah. is like a lot of consonants in a row. But it was important to me to keep it because I'm really proud of the things that my my dad has done. He was the commissioner of housing for the city of Atlanta in the 90s and is a really important mm-hmm. figure in sort of homeless activism in, in Atlanta for a long time. My grandfather was a surgeon who did a lot of incredible things. And so I, I really want people to be able to say like, oh, that's Roe Hartram from Atlanta. And, and I know his dad and his grandfather all along the line. That being said, at various moments in my life, people have encouraged me to change it. And there have been moments where I get tired of spelling it for sure, or like telling people how to pronounce it. But I think the first name is so easy, right? Roe is just so straightforward yeah. that it, it makes up for it. But um, yeah, that's it's a very Gilded Age level name. Say. Yeah. So they've sent out the call for season two for you, right? Yeah, it's uh, it should be in the works. We'll see. I good, they need good, good. they need some more some more uh, curly brown haired guys. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure Bernie is an avid listener of the drama podcast. So I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm my emails are open, Mister Telsey. Yes. Wow. You never you know you never know who listens. We've we've heard strange whispers mm. through the woodwork over time. I have to say my dose of drama is sort of Oscars related. And it's just that I am in love with Paul Mescal, who was in The Lost Daughter. He was the featured young man lifeguard affiliate on the beach. And I loved him in Normal People. And I really cannot wait to see what else he does. Um, The scene between him and Ms. Olivia Coleman, where they're sitting at that bar drinking, was there was a lot of like cool tension. I don't know if it was necessarily sexual tension, but it was really a great scene. That's one I've got to see. Oh, it's on, it's on, it's on our friends Netflix. Oh, yes. so. yeah. My entire career is on Netflix and all of my favorite uh, content is on Netflix. So it's, I, I'll be there. Bro, do you have a dose of drama? I, I do have a dose of drama and it's, a, it's just something I want to shout out, something that I'm really excited about that's coming up. And it's sort of like, I was thinking about the, the end of, of Diana and the, and the movement of theaters and sort of the Broadway ecosystem. And I'm so excited for one of the shows coming up and I would never try and claim that Diana had a hand in this show coming in or anything like that. But because of the shuffling of theaters, we are inevitably related to this show coming in. 
But I am I am so excited for more people to see a strange loop. Yes. By Michael R. Jackson. It's gonna be the Lyceum. Yeah. And Scottish play was supposed to be at the Lyceum. And then because Princess Diana was on her way out, Lady Scottish Play jumped in and yes. took over our theater very quickly and opened up the Lyceum for something else. And, and I'm really, really excited for a strange loop to come back to New York. Mm-hmm. I so- was lucky enough, sort of a similar Ring of Keys moment. I went to see a strange loop by myself in the summer of 19 yeah. when it was at Playwrights and I got like a last minute, you know, a rush ticket. And I'm so glad I saw it alone because I was like shook to my core. I was like glued to my seat. It was it was the first time in a really wonderful way, sort of pre the social justice movements of yeah. 2020, sort of the first time that I understood what it was like to feel not represented on stage, like to see a show that there that I was not in. There was mm-hmm. no character that was my character. My perspective was not there. That show was not written for me. It did not care if I was there in the most wonderful way. And that might be the best way to sell a show, but it was so vulnerable and so singular. And I think that for Michael R. Jackson to write such a vulnerable semi-autobiographical piece about what it is to live as a a full-figured queer Black musical theater writer in New York City and all that comes with that was so brave and like so exciting. And I'm just thrilled that it won the Pulitzer, first of all, highly, very well deserved. And I'm so, so excited that it's coming back to Broadway and I I can't wait to see it again. I could not agree more. It it was one of those experiences where you were like, I don't want to get up and leave because I need to sit here and think about this for a second. It was, yeah. And I heard that the new fellow who's playing Usher is absolutely unreal. So I'm excited for a a Broadway debut and- yes. that yeah the music is great too it's it's such an original tale so it's I think it is yeah and the music the music really reminds me of like falsettos kind yeah. of there's a lot I, I think bill finn was a mentor of michael's and there are a lot of like to me sort of finn isms in that memory song like these are my memories mm-hmm. these are my memories like the cast album by the way is on spotify it is stunning work i can't recommend it enough i think people should go listen to it first and get excited mm. about going to see it live. That's a great recommendation. Inner White Girl yes. was on my Spotify rap, just like one of my top songs. <laughs> oh, no way. I just, I just loved it. It was It's so good. Wait, and also interesting, another through line is Falsettos was a Playwrights Horizons piece before it go. came in. So I think that's there's another connection there. The New York ecosystem is alive and well. I know. Ro, have you ever, have you ever thought about doing like a solo show in the city? I've thought about it. Yeah. I mean, also, I mean, Gina had just such a successful show at 54 Below mm-hmm. um, just, you know, like a couple of weeks ago. But yeah, I've, I've absolutely thought about it. It's something that I just need to like sit down and put together. I, I think I'd love to do a show. I've always joked about calling it like songs my parents want me to sing. <laughs> <laughs> because my parents are, are like my my folks are always like talking about like what they the way they want me to like things that they've seen that they love that they want me to sing and and projects that they, they think I should be a part of in that way that supportive parents do. So I've got ideas, but I, I still have to sit down and like put it all together. Uh, any music directors who want to slide into anyone's DMs in this conversation, please hit me up. <laughs> well, we'll be there yes. at the show to support no matter what. This was so much fun. Thank you for chatting with us. It felt like old friends. Of course. I know. It's just, uh, it's we're all down. We're all down <laughs> for the drama. I, I love, love it. it. Well, everyone, if everyone's not already following you on Twitter and Instagram, 
They absolutely should. And it's just your name, right? On both? Yeah, just at Rohartramp. Or I guess actually on Instagram, it's at Rotramp, T-R-A-M-P. The lady is a tramp. <laughs> and of course, people I should be following it. us at the Drama Podcast, me at Dylan McDowell, Connor at Connor McDowell. Ro, thanks for your time. I hope we can meet up one day down the line in, in the city. This is so much fun, guys. I can't wait to meet you in person. Yeah. All right. And Connor, I will see you next time. Drama. Drama.